I've got a few things on my mind to share this week. None of them is massive in content, but some of the ideas are pretty impressive, if I do say so myself. And they're not even my ideas. Well, some of them are. With help from some of the right people, a few of these ideas might become whole episodes. Between then and now, here's a bit of food and restaurant potpourri, which includes an interview transcript that has completely changed my thinking on fat to the news of one of the world's best restaurants closing because they can't sustain the business any longer. The Eating Liberty Podcast, Episode 225, Food and Freedom, Once a Week for Life. Hello folks, Dan Reed here. If you are the sappy, hopeless romantic type, or maybe the 100% practical gift kind, Find gifts to match your personality at Carved Solutions. They have engraved glasses or personalized cutting boards for cheese trays or even gift baskets of ingredients for a meal. Head over to culinarylibertarian.com slash holiday gifts to find your sweetie, the sappy romantic item you are famous for. That's culinarylibertarian.com slash holiday gifts, or click the link on the show notes page. I have been out of the restaurant business for about 10 years. A lot has changed with food in that time, and now, as it is unfolding, a lot is happening to fine dining as well. Noma, rated by those who do such things, is considered maybe the best restaurant in the world. They're located in Copenhagen, Copenhagen, and they make news they made news recently when the chef, Rene Redzepi, announced that they are closing in twenty twenty four to regular service. Now, that might not sound like news, but the explanation that the business model as it is is unsustainable both in terms of costs to the business and the costs to humans, does seem like news. Now, that is, the labor costs, now increasing since Noma started to pay the unpaid interns, raises the expense to the business. The hours required to cook at that level of cooking and the various kinds of abuse Verbal abuse and temperature abuse and kitchens are hot. Maybe sexual abuse make such work too much to accept. There's also the self-inflicted abuse of chefs and cooks pushing themselves far behind, far beyond what most people would consider a reasonable limit. When I worked in Tallahassee, both for uh, the private dining club and then the restaurant on the other side of the block, self-inflicted abuse of hours worked was a badge of honor. Cooks were expected to be stoic about the pain in your feet 
and in your knees and in your lower back and you just push through. Cuts and burns were managed or ignored in stride. Weakness in body or loyalty, weakness in body or weakness in loyalty were not well tolerated. Now, just to show you, <laughs> this is, it's, it's almost, it's, it's, it's not meant as a bragging. It was then. Um, Tallahassee is the capital, and that freestanding restaurant and that private club were on, were the first two restaurants lobbyists and legislators could walk to on lunch break or when the session was ended. And let me tell you, during session, we got pounded. So I, I was salary. I didn't keep track of hours. But one week, I said, I'm going to keep trying with a punch in and punch out just because what the hell, I'm curious. So it was a session week. It was a busy session week, 100 hours in six days. So I was, for a long time, proud of that. Now I'm like, wow, that was... I didn't know another way, but that's not for the show. That's just, that's, that's how the restaurant business goes. Fine dining has a rather broad scope to it. That restaurant, the one I was talking about just now, in Tallahassee was fine dining, but also fine dining applies to Danielle in New York City, and those two places were not the same on nearly every metric except I'm sure I loved the cooking and the craft as much as Daniel Ballou does. It often seems the case when some unexpected bit of news of a thing comes out, more news of the same kind comes out. So it is here with fine dining being unsustainable, grueling, painful, and unrewarding. Jean Vieviam, a chef unknown to me, published an article uh, in the January 13th issue, at least digital issue, of Bon Appetit magazine, sharing her thoughts that such a life cannot continue. Life for her of self-inflicted body abuse by long hours caused, I think she said fibromyalgia, a physical condition that only was at least ended or lessened by leaving the cooking profession. The history of chefs starts probably in Greece with chefs being slaves. In the 1980s, a cook could, with the right connections, earn an unpaid spot in a kitchen in France and peel potatoes and other seemingly trivial tasks for far too long in the day, as a day, and for far too many weeks. Uh, and maybe never actually cook on the, on, the, on the line. David Burke, the former chef of the River Cafe in Brooklyn, and the only American chef to earn, I'm going to butcher this, the Mouillère ouvre de France, diplômé de honneur. I'm sorry for you who speak French better than I do, which is everybody. Uh, that award was for culinary excellence. David did then in France what is called the stage, looks like stage, which is to work for free. That is no cash, but you earn experience that might feed you, 
at the hands of the masters, and David certainly did work with some of the masters. Stage, work for no cash but experience, is not unknown in the States. We say trail, but it's the same idea, just a different word. You trail behind a cook in a kitchen that you like and you want to learn, and if they'll have you, you get to learn from them, and that experience is your pay. Now, you may actually have a job and trail on your day off. It is entirely voluntary, both on the cook's part and the restaurant's part. Now, one point made in a couple of the articles I read about Noma's closing was how the interns were exploited. Man, that's a potent word. It pulls with great force on your emotions and heartstrings, and it seems to be used to make you hate the man and empathize with the victim. Not one of those people was there by force. No one put a gun to an intern's head and gave the option, intern for free or die. I reject the term and the implications. Now, that does not mean I protest them being paid. Absolutely not. That, too, is a voluntary act, probably with some social pressure, and that's fine. It turns out food, as Noma did it, with the full accounting of costs of the staff, cannot be sustained. From an economics point, that's an interesting observation. The costs of cash might be recoverable, as in higher prices, but the costs to the humans of long hours, or really long hours, and myopic lives, meaning go to work, go home, go to work, go home, cannot be recovered even with higher menu prices. So, Something has to change, and as it happens, business as Noma knows it is the thing that has to change. Culturally, in the culture of food, and maybe even larger, I think that is an interesting development, and how it moves through the rest of real fine dining, of think... uh, per se, Keller's per se, and the French Laundry, which, at least here, domestically, I I struggle to think of a more famous fine dining place. Uh, What ends up happening is going to be interesting to see and watch, and uh, it may take some while to play out, and who knows what will happen, but... Nonetheless, this is kind of an interesting development. Now, what is, what? Rem- well, we'll talk about that in a minute, but what remains to be seen also is how the, the concept of trailing or staging as a paid position, if that really catches on. My inclination is that it won't catch on, that stagiaires and trailers won't be paid, they just won't have them, just be done. So, topic two. I've talked about how the craft of cooking is similar to other crafts. And usually I say painting or woodworking or writing, to name at least three. 
but I had an idea. This isn't a new idea. It certainly isn't my idea. And maybe bringing it up would get me to think a bit more about it. And the idea is this. What if food is a statement, is a story about the history of place? The idea is nearly the opposite of restaurant food. Home cooks, granny's recipes, made as her handwritten recipes indicate, is a direct connection to her and the time those foods were made. Now, restaurant foods, they may use local ingredients, but they're going for something other than simply feeding somebody with the barest of essentials. And places like Noma is sparing literally no cost to bring you well, not me, uh, to bring the people who can go there for four or $500 a meal, the, the, the rarest of the rare. But Granny, she has a different priority. There seems at least two parts to this idea of culture and family and food. One is that joke about the holiday ham with the ends cut off. One kid asks, why is the ham always served without the ends? Well, I don't know. My mom always did that. Well, it can be drawn out, but the story ends with us finding out that Granny did that because the oven was too small for the ham and cutting off the ends was the only way to get it in the oven. And ta-da, a tradition is born. That's the comic side of the same story. Granny did what she had to do to feed her family. What we don't know is, did she make a special ham salad from the trimmed bits, which also can become a family tradition. In my very Polish background, golomki, cabbage leaves stuffed with ground beef and rice, rolled and baked in a tomato sauce, is almost a birthright. My grandparents made it, and I know their moms made it. My mom made it, and sometimes I can sort of still smell it. I miss it. I don't make it now, since no one else here likes good cabbage, and frankly, cabbage is puny compared to what it used to be. They're now cabbage heads are the size of iceberg lettuce heads, and they used to be massive. They used to be bowling ball size, maybe even bigger. Those big ones, that's a proper leaf for a stuffed cabbage. Not this is these little ones are just an embarrassment. Stuffed cabbage is a food history of place. Now, for me, it's Poland. Poland first and then Detroit. Like pasta or pretty much any other food. Any place that had those ingredients did a version of it. China, probably, so pasta, Italy, and China, and who, who I mean, <laughs> wherever there was grains and water and grinding, somebody invented a noodle of a kind. So Poland doesn't own the idea of stuffed cabbage, but for me, that's the important part because it goes back to roots in my family. There are personal roots for everyone in the foods from their past. And that's part of what I think is meant by the term comfort foods. Yes, in part, it is the immediate 
physical satisfaction. You've eaten something, but it you you feel good for eating the thing, but there is a feel good on a deeper level. There's a soul satisfying aspect that the connection of diner to heritage. Now, you know, <laughs> nobody has a heritage of Kraft macaroni and cheese, and I'm going to admit that I recognize that it has a comfort food aspect to it, and at least if nothing more, goes back to the childhood of pretty much every American. That's that's valid. That actually applies. But also the stuff that mom made at Christmas, um, Easter, if you celebrate Easter, or maybe even maybe for Fourth of July with pie or who know, or sandwiches or who knows what. But you know, there's Christmas and Thanksgiving and Easter and a few other Mother's Day. That stuff. That's the heritage. Now, I know that can seem loony to some, but I really accept that our brains have a kind of food muscle memory. Proust knew it, and he wrote about it, the Madeline story. It's one paragraph, 250 words or less. But Disney referenced that exact idea in Ratatouille. When Ego eats the Ratatouille, if I'm, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the movie that's 20 years old, when Ego eats the ratatouille, at the very end of the movie, he's sure this is going to be abysmal. That dish is so spectacular that he is time-traveled back to being a kid in France when mom made ratatouille. Now, as a cook, you can't do that on purpose because you have no idea who's in your dining room. Now, it isn't a reflection on me because I'm so spectacular. It's actually a reflection on the customer who had an amazing memory. But I had at least two times at that Tallahassee restaurant, waitstaff came back and said, oh, my God, it's this guy, Chef Dan, he said, he said this tastes just like grandma's. Like, oh, man, it's, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm out. I'm Costanza. You can't do it on purpose, but when it happens, it's very cool. Innovation is a good thing. Cutting the ends off the ham was innovation. It may have been blasphemous, but Granny didn't have a choice. I mean, she did have a choice, but the alternative wasn't an acceptable one. So return, the food returns us. It represents to us what is valuable in our lineage, and that's different for all of us. Okay, item last for you Hill Street Blues fans. Hill Street, what? Yeah, I know. It's an old TV show. A couple of episodes back, I spoke with Jess Reed, and she mentioned that some processed foods are designed, that is, manufactured, created, to get you to eat more or all of the package. I did some looking and found more than a few pages of information about that. Now, this bit isn't about that. That's in the works. But it is a bit about fat. One segue to another and another, and I landed on a transcript of a podcast, a science podcast, and this particular one was about body fat. 
Now, 30 seconds before I landed on that page and read that piece, I would have told you that body fat is undesirable. It is a thing most of us loathe and can't wait to get rid of, even if some of us never, ever actually do that. Then I read the transcript from biochemist Sylvia Tara. Every once in a while, you run across something that is so amazing to you that it is a complete paradigm shift. For me, that thing was this transcript and her ideas about body fat. Almost straight from the start of the interview, Sylvia lays it out what her topic is. She says, quote, don't ever underestimate your fat. Don't think it's something that you have to get rid of at all costs, that is ugly, unsightly, and I just want to do away with it. It's actually a very important endocrine organ. You need your fat, but you have to keep your fat healthy, and quote. Did you catch the part about fat being an organ? I missed it when I read that the first time. But she brings it up again. Fat is an organ. I'm not entirely sure what the implication is of fat being an organ. I know skin is an organ, and organs like liver and pancreas and heart and brain and lungs, they have a purpose, but I never thought that they had much else going on other than just what they were designed to do. Well, that seems to be a big mistake in my lack of thinking. As to fat being an organ, Sylvia adds this, quote, it releases a number of hormones, fat. So, even though a fat molecule unto itself is responsible for energy and gives us energy, fat collectively as an organ, fat cells and fat tissue functions as an endocrine organ, meaning it releases a number of different hormones that our body depends on. For example, our brain size is linked to fat. Our immune system depends on fat to be small. End quote. So, more than two kinds of fat, and there's a size to fat cells, and that matters. Fat also has hormones, but now I'm risking going too far because this is... <laughs> this is this is really something else. I, f I finished reading the interview, and just like that, I was overwhelmed by what I did not know about fat. There are different kinds of body fat, and each of them have different jobs. There are also different kinds of body fat at different ages in our lives. I'll link that interview transcript page on the show notes page, which is culinarylibertarian.com slash 225. That's 225. I may have set the bar very high. If my amazement isn't matched by you, then that's probably my fault for, for being too impressed. The best thing I got from this piece is I no longer have to feel like I'm in a battle with my fat. Oh, I still want less belly fat, believe me, and, but that I don't have to have the same sense of urgency I did kind of makes it a little bit easier.
And yes, you still need exercise, but for a whole different reason. Are you opposed to an extension of this new knowledge idea to an old knowledge idea? I said that I never considered fat more than only and just fat. Now I know, I barely know. It's more than that. This new information about old settled, this is new information about old settled science to borrow a phrase. Food and diet and, food and, diet and eating and health and nutrition are massively huge niches niches, niches, niches for gurus and they get tankers full of cash. They might be right or they might be wrong. I'm not the one to know, but I am willing to look at a new unconventional idea and check it out. How do I check it out? Well, turns out Sylvia has a book. The Secret Life of Fat, the science behind the body's least understood organ and what it means for you. And she put that out in 2017. I have never heard of it, and that means nothing. The amount of things I've never heard of is nearly infinite. I also know a biochemist who changes his mind when new information contrasts what he currently accepts. So... I run it by him. That's Kyle. Kyle doesn't keep any sacred cows. The didactic here is be willing to be open to new ideas. I know <laughs> that's a loaded idea. Holy moly. Uh, in post-pandemic USA, where you are to trust your overlords and trust the science, and that's it, buddy. Don't you dare go think for yourself. Well, I'm telling you to go think for yourself. All right. Fine dining is at least changing and may not be dead. What seems certain is food service, even at the McDonald's level, is not going to be as it was three years ago. Now, that's both good and bad in that uh, the most... Let's, let me rephrase that. that. Let me start again. That's both good and bad And that uh, most people in the industry uh, experiencing the changes will have to decide for themselves what it is, if it's good or bad. I won't know because it's not impacting me. Granny's recipe file is more than just her handwriting on three by five cards. Those recipes are a connection to your specific past and your specific history of place where her parents came from and where her where her grandparents came from and and that's that's storytelling on a recipe card that's storytelling through plated food from hundreds of years ago and that's kind of cool that's storytelling about what they had access to, and that's why they ate the things they ate. And that's part of your unique story. Each family, food, tells their family story. And then the last one was fat. It is amazing in ways we never knew, and it isn't all bad. 
but there are good reasons to want less of it in your belly area. But there are also reasons to not be so anxious about it. And yes, exercise still matters, just like it did a minute ago. All right, folks, that's going to do it. As I mentioned, the fat transcript piece will be linked on the show notes page, culinarylibertarian.com slash 225. Mid-January seems an odd time to suggest it's time to look at a spring garden, but it's time. Getting seeds ready or getting seeds ordered, making sure the tools are in order, that the shovels, handles are in good repair, the shovels are sharpened if that's the thing you do. Uh, do you need new wheels for the cart of the wheelbarrow? I know people who argue with me, is a wheelbarrow? Well, you don't, you don't barrow a barrow, you borrow a barrel. Okay, whatever. Um, there's time to do it, but it will be April soon enough, and then it's hurry, hurry, hurry. Here, up here in, in my neck of 4,500 feet, nothing goes into the ground till after the first week of June. Because June 5th, we had a frost. Killed everything. Call your state university extension office and make friends with the master gardeners there. They are amazing resources. And if you have space and the inclination, raise chickens. You'll know why. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you being here. Thanks to also to my Patreon supporters. Find the support link on the show notes page to become a patron yourself. Have a good week, and I'll see you soon. Music for the Culinary Libertarian podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert at mattbankert.com.